You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let's open our Bibles together this afternoon. We turn to the Old Testament, to the prophecies of Isaiah. First of all, we'll turn to chapter 56 and 58. This is what the Lord says. Maintain justice and do what is right, for my salvation is close at hand. And my righteousness will soon be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this, the man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating it, and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Let no foreigner who has bound himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And then let not any eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant. To them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to serve him, to love the name of the Lord, and to worship him, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it, and who hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. The Lord, the sovereign Lord, declares, he who gathers the exiles of Israel, I will gather still others to them besides those already gathered. The next we turn to Isaiah 58, the verses 13 and 14. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord." And I will cause you to ride on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. And then we turn to Hebrews chapter 4, the verses 1 to 11 in the New Testament. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard did not combine it with faith. Now we who have believed enter that rest just as God has said. So I declare on oaths in my anger they shall never enter my rest. And yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words... And on the seventh day, God rested from all his work. And again, in the passage above, he says, They shall never enter my rest. 
It still remains that some will enter that rest, and those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. Therefore God again said a certain day, calling it today, when a long time later he spoke through David as was said before, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged or double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrows. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. I preach to you this afternoon from the word of our God as the church summarizes and confesses this in Lord's Day 38 of the Heidelberg Catechism. What does God require in the fourth commandment? First, that the ministry of the gospel and the schools be maintained, and that especially on the day of arrest, I diligently attend the church of God to hear God's word, to use the sacraments, to call publicly upon the Lord, and to give Christian offerings for the poor. Second, that all the days of my life I rest from my evil works, let the Lord work in me through his Holy Spirit, and so begin in this life an eternal or the eternal Sabbath. Beloved congregation of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, yesterday we entered into a new year. It's the year of our Lord, 2011. And then what do most of us do when we shift over from one year into another? We tend to think about time. We think about the time gone by in 2010. We wonder about the time to come in 2011. And then no doubt some of us would like to be able to see into the future. Others, however, would just like to keep things as they are. We'll deal with life as life presents itself to us and not anything else. And now, of course, moving from old year to new year is not the only occasion when we tend to reflect on time. We also do it around the time of birthdays, anniversaries, as well as at other special events and occasions. Yes, and as well, we also do it whenever we turn to Lord's Day 38 of the Heidelberg Catechism. For Lord's Day 38, which explains the fourth commandment, is actually all about time. Now, maybe you never thought about it that way. Perhaps you restricted your thinking when it comes to this Lord's Day and this commandment to one particular day and the worship of that day. 
But really, you need to cast your net wider to think in broader terms and to get the bigger picture. And the bigger picture in relation to the fourth commandment is the picture of time. And indeed, we can say that every one of the commandments of the Lord deals with one or other central theme. For example, the first commandment is actually dealing with the person of God. How we see him, look at him, believe in him. The second commandment is dealing with the worship of God. The third commandment deals with the name or the reputation of God. Yes, and now the fourth commandment is dealing with the day or the time of God. And time, what is that? What is time? Maybe you've never asked yourself that question. You just kind of take it all for granted. But what is time? Well, I dare say this afternoon that time is really a gift. A gift from God, the Creator, to us. It's a gift that we need to be able to handle with much thankfulness, with due diligence, and with real appreciation. And so this afternoon, I'd like to preach to you on the following theme, what to do with Sabbath or the gift of time. Look at receiving the gift, unpacking the gift, and keeping the gift. Well, beloved, the fourth commandment is surely given us to remind us that God is the inventor and the giver of time. And maybe that in some ways surprises you. Perhaps you assume that time has always been there, that time is just like God, eternal. But that's not true. That's not quite accurate. Time is a created thing, a created reality. Time as a starting point. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Time also has divisions. Genesis reminds us that God divided it into days and weeks and months and years, as well as he divided it into seasons of spring and summer, fall and winter. But also one more thing. God singled out one day and set it apart from all the rest. It's the seventh or the Sabbath day. God put his spotlight especially on that weekly cycle of time and then he, as it were, lifts up one day, the last day, the seventh day of that particular cycle. And furthermore, God tells us to do something with that Sabbath day. He tells us to keep it holy. What does that mean? What does it mean to keep one day of the week holy? Well, we should understand that holy, that word holy, really means to to separate, to set apart from everything that is common, that is ordinary, that is mundane. And then not just to separate it from all that's ordinary, but to dedicate it to God. 
You know, Scripture speaks about holy things and holy places and holy names and cities and, and temples. God takes some things in this life and He raises them above the rest. And He gives them holy status for holy service. Yes, and that's also what He does with one day out of the whole week. He, he takes it, He lifts it up. He makes it special. He makes it Sabbath. But of course, that's not all, for the fourth commandment also tells us that God not only sets aside the Sabbath day, but also that God does something with that particular day. It says in Exodus twenty eleven, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested. On the seventh day. In other words, God sets that seventh, that last day of the week aside for rest. He rested on the seventh day. That's what he did with it. Why did he do that? Did he do that because he's tired and exhausted after all the work that he did in those first six days of creation? Did he do it because he wanted an opportunity to catch his breath? Not at all. Isaiah says, Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. So this is not about God needing rest. This is not about God needing a break or a siesta or getting tired. Now, this is about other things. In the first place, this is about completion. Genesis 2-3 says that God had finished the work He had been doing. The seventh day marks that day in which there is nothing more for God to do because God has done it all. Every formless thing has been formed. Every empty thing has been filled. Every nameless thing has been named. Creation is finished. And now God can rest. The world, the universe, is completed, finished. But you know, it's also about celebration. In this idea of God resting, there is also, as it were, this, this element of enjoyment. The seventh day is God stepping back and admiring the work of his hands. God is here taking pleasure in what he has made. This is a festive day. This is a day for taking it all in and, and savoring it. It's for celebration. And this day, beloved, is also for about blessing. You know, Genesis 2 says, God blessed the seventh day. 
Now, what does that mean? It's interesting, a lot of the commentators kind of skip over that particular expression and don't really go into a lot of details in connection with it. And if they do sometimes go into details about it, they say, well, this really means that that this is, is describing some kind of personal, private experience that, that God has. God blessed the seventh day. There's nothing here for man. This is describing something that God did. But is that true? Can that even be true? What then is the significance of a blessing? You may not realize it, but to bless means to confer a benefit. Or, as it were, to grant something positive to someone. So on whom is God conferring a benefit? To whom is he giving something positive? To himself. Is this all about him and him alone and in isolation? No. God is here conferring a benefit, a blessing on all of creation. And especially on mankind. So what do we have here? We have God setting one day out of seven aside singling it out as the seventh and special day. We have God making it into a benefit, a blessing, and a gift for all of creation. And I underline the all. Animals, the earth, the ground, and especially us human beings. It's a blessing for everyone and everything. Of course, the question arises, were the patriarchs aware of this? We do not know. Although, interestingly enough, you can note that Noah seems to work with a cycle of seven days, as you find it in Genesis 8, verse 12. Did he set aside the seventh of Sabbath day? Scripture is silent. But, of course, the same cannot be said with respect to Israel. Already before the giving of the law in Exodus 16, you can read about the Sabbath. Somehow it was operative before Sinai. But at Sinai and after Sinai, it becomes very, very clear that here is a command, an injunction of Almighty God. God tells his people, Israel, to embrace his gift of Sabbath. He calls on them to treasure it, to cherish it. He orders them to stop sweating and toiling and working and slaving and to set it aside for resting. And so the pattern set. You work for six days and you rest on the seventh day. And you know, that's God, as it were, saying, 
I am giving you the seventh day to recharge your batteries, to enjoy my glorious creation, to celebrate your liberation out of Egypt, and to renew your relationship with me. Make the most of it. Everyone, everything. Servants, animals, fields, people. Make the most of this day. Yes, and I dare say, beloved, that pattern, one out of seven, remains the same. True, of course, there is a shift before the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's the seventh day that stands as the special day for God's Old Testament community. After the death and resurrection of our Lord, it's the first day that becomes the special day of the New Testament community. And why if, why that shift, you ask perhaps? Well, because, because the people of God felt this pressing need to, to celebrate more than just the gift of creation and liberation. They also wanted to celebrate the gift of recreation. For Christ's resurrection is all about making everything new. It injects new hope. It signals eternal life. It promises new natures. It predicts a new world. You see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ more than anything else besides what happens in Genesis 1 and what happens in Exodus 2 and following is the most important date on God's people's calendars. Because it transforms life. It transforms every day and it transforms the future. How good it is to have a day to remember, to celebrate, to rejoice, and to rest. What a gift. And beloved, in light of all of that, it's rather depressing to look at what is being done with this gift of God to creation as well as to mankind today. You ever noticed? We've managed to flatten out the calendar. To flatten out the week. Every day is alike. Equally Busy, equally hectic, equally consumed, equally man-centered. You know, society is coming apart at the seams, and so many don't have a clue as to why this is happening. But surely we do. Scripture says mankind cannot continue to thrive as long as it ignores the will of God and as long as it dismisses his divine template of six days for working and one day for resting. Physical toil, mental stress, consumerism will exact their toil. 
They're told. And we can see it already. We see it in marriages and families. We see it in physical and mental health statistics. We see it in the rise of human unhappiness and discontent. Time has become not a servant or an ally. Time has become an enslaver. And beloved, we all need to realize this. If we reject this gift of God, we will suffer. But on the other hand, if we resist the ways of this world, and I might add, if we resist the call to turn the Lord's day into just another ordinary day, as even some fellow believers are telling us to do, if we resist that call, that urge, that temptation, we'll be blessed. God honors those who honor His gifts. And if you wonder how shall we honor Him, what are we to do with this special gift? Well, surely, in that connection, the Heidelberg Catechism gives us some guidance and direction. It shows us just how to unpack the gift and to make the most of it. For one, it says that we are to make this one day out of seven a day of faithful worship, diligently attending the church of God. On every Sabbath day, the people of Israel took of their New time, and they used it to worship the Lord. On every Lord's Day, the New Testament church did the same. The book of Acts indicates that the believers used this day for learning, fellowship, breaking bread, prayer, and praise. And you may know the letter to the Hebrews even contains a warning not to give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. In addition, the Catechism says this day is to be a day of word-centered worship, to hear God's word. And that's a reminder, beloved, that in the first place, this is not a day to hear ourselves talking You've got six days to talk, talk, talk to yourself and everybody around you. Six days to spill the beans and to give your ideas and your musings and your insights and your grand thoughts. But this one day is a day where the Word of God should be the focal point and the center. And why? Because it's God's Word. Because it reveals God to us and His will for our lives. And because through that Word of God operates the Word and the sword of the Spirit that changes and remolds and shapes and alters us. 
And thirdly, we are also to make this day, it says, into a day of sign and seal worship to use the sacraments as the catechism. And then, of course, the sacraments, one of which we hope to celebrate next Sunday morning, the sacraments are not given to supplant or replace the Word. The sacraments really are given to put an exclamation mark behind the Word. To underline its message, to emphasize its teachings, to underwrite its promises. And fourth, we are to make this a day of praiseful worship to call publicly upon the Lord. Of course, we read those words and we immediately think about prayer. And of course, to some extent that's true because prayer is the golden means by which we speak to God, by which we unburden our hearts, by which we praise Him and bring all of our concerns and our heartaches and our problems before Him. But this day is not only for prayer, it's also for praise. It's also for song, for music. The Psalms represent not only the prayer book of God's people, but also the praise book of God's people. And finally, we are to make this day a day of charitable worship to give Christian offerings for the poor. How do we show that we are dependent upon God? How do we show that we depend on Him for not just the spiritual blessings of life, but also the very material and mundane things of life? We show it by giving our first fruits to Him. We show it by caring for the poor around us and among us. We do so by supporting the causes of church and kingdom. And so, beloved, realize that the worship of our loving, good, and gracious God is to be unpacked on this one day, especially out of the seven that He so graciously gives to us. But then, beloved, if the gift of Sabbath is to be received with joy and unpacked with care. It's also to be kept, protected, and preserved. We don't always do that with our gifts, do we? Sometimes there are these things in life that we really, really want. And when we receive them, we're all smiles. Only the smiles don't always last. After a while, we get tired of our gifts. Our minds and desires go on to other kinds of things. And what was once the greatest thing on earth becomes the most discarded thing. You know, I remember years ago going out looking and looking for cabbage patch dolls. 
And why was I looking and looking for cabbage patch dolls? Because my girls at that time thought these were the greatest thing in the world. And they just had to have them. And so dad went out. A year later, well, you know, the Cabbage Patch dolls were sitting in the cupboard, but it was on to something bigger, better, and nicer. And you know, so it can happen with this particular gift as well. And as a matter of fact, so it did happen. Israel received it, but soon Israel became bored with it. And then you hear one of God's constant complaints that reverberates throughout the pages of the Old Testament is just how badly the people of God abused this gift. For most of their history, they played fast and loose with it. They showed contempt for it. And they discarded it. And they ended up in exile. How's that with us? As we get richer, do we still prize it? As we get more established and comfortable in this life, do we still honor it? And as we get more and more besieged by our consumer-driven society, do we still unpack it? As we get accustomed to our freedoms, do we still appreciate it? You need to realize, beloved, this is not a temporary gift. This gift of Sabbath, of rest, is meant to be an eternal gift. You can see that. God speaks about it at the beginning of time, Genesis 1. And God is is still speaking about it at the end of time, so to speak. Read, for example, Hebrews 4. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And then it adds, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall. You see, we need to keep on prizing, appreciating, enjoying this gift. And why do we need to do so? I'm no baker. You'll not very often find me in the kitchen. But you know, somewhere along the line I've clued in that In order to make a loaf of bread rise, you need leaven or yeast. And that without leaven or without yeast, that loaf of bread remains as flat as a pancake and as hard as nails. But you put a little leaven or a little yeast in the dough, And before you know it, it spreads its power throughout that entire loaf of bread and it makes the whole shebang rise. 
Well, this gift of Sabbath is like that. You keep it, you treasure it, and before you realize it, its impact is spread throughout your entire life. And if you wonder in what way does it spread its impact, well, in three ways. First, those who keep Sabbath, and I get that from the catechism which gets it from the scriptures, those who keep Sabbath will rest more and more from their evil works. Evil can't stand in the face of this gift. It'll shrink, become impotent, toothless. One day of the week properly devoted to God, to His worship, to His service, as a a way of spilling over, as a way of impacting all of our lives and all of our actions. And secondly, those who keep Sabbath will turn it in to a really effective day for the Holy Spirit. The Catechism says that we are to let the Lord work in us through His Holy Spirit. Doesn't quite sound reformed, does it? Let the Holy, or let the Lord work in us with His Holy Spirit. Since, since when is it a matter of letting? Or of my allowing? Since when does God need my permission for anything? True enough. But realize that while God is sovereign, He never bypasses our responsibility. And He's always calling on us to respond to His Word, to bow before His Word, to open our hearts to His Word, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, God is saying to His children, you have to give the Holy Spirit room to work in your life. Don't plug up your calendars with constant busyness and business or even play. Don't make yourself so busy that you have no time for God and no time for the Holy Spirit either to work in you. And third, those who keep Sabbath will begin in this life, the Catechism echoing Scripture says, will begin in this life the eternal, eternal Sabbath. You know, in all of Scripture, it's hard to find a more attractive word than Sabbath. Maybe shalom, peace, comes close. But Sabbath is even more comprehensive. 
That word Sabbath in Scripture is filled with, with all of the most beautiful qualities in life that you can think of. It has in it the aspect of peace, wholeness, harmony, health, strength, well-being, happiness. They're all there. And many more as well. You know, there are days in this life when we feel dog, tired, worn out, frazzled and fraying at the edges. And then we may say to ourselves, I need a holiday. No, you don't need a holiday. You need more than a holiday. You need Sabbath. You need complete utter and perfect rest. And it's coming. The catechism echoing the scriptures reminds us that the eternal Sabbath is coming. That a day is going to dawn filled with beauty and power and pleasure. That no eye has seen and no mind is conceived of. But yet not only is it coming, there's something else. You can, you can already taste it, as it were. And how do you taste it? Well, by embracing God's gift of Sabbath every week. And by letting its blessings permeate all the days of the week and every nook and cranny of your life. And so, beloved, I would say to you, don't do what so many people are doing today. They're stomping on the gift. They stomp on it with their self-indulgence, with their commercialism, with their selfishness, with their indifference. They don't know Sabbath. They don't know rest of any kind. But you do. So receive the gift, unpack the gift, and keep the gift. Keep it. Use it in preparation for the eternal Sabbath. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.